Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. So you dropped 150000 on a college education that you could have gotten for $1.50 in late charges at the public library? What a great line from a great movie, Goodwill Hunting. Without the Boston accent, of course. Here we have an individual who is light years ahead of his professors, despite any formal education. Did he need to go to college? What about Mark Zuckerberg? He dropped out of Harvard after a semester. But let's bring it to actual real life outside of Hollywood, outside of the, the 1%. Is it a smart idea to drop $150,000 on a college education? Is there an appropriate return on investment? Should everybody go to college? Or should we just listen to Kanye and Alpha step our way to being a college dropout? Welcome to Pine Class Preachers. Hey, hey Gabe, quick, hold on, quick question. Quick question, yep. Gabe. Yep. What year was Goodwill Hunting released? I don't know, I was four. Yeah, I was really <laughs> young. I'm not sure any of us millennials or our Generation Z listeners are going to have any idea what you're talking about. Actually, listen, Loki, I love the movie Goodwill Hunting. So You've seen it? You've seen the whole thing? Of course I have. It's an amazing movie. How have you I not think, seen it? I, I don't think I've ever seen the entire thing through. Dude, I think you, my friend, are missing out. Or I was just not born in the snow hovels of the Midwest. I, what does that have to do with it? Yeah, it's, I'm not it's relevant. It's a movie. Nah, it's relevant. Yeah, it's and it's relevant. a good movie. Okay, I dropped the ball. Movie. Whatever. You know. So Josh only watches movies because he was born on the West Coast. Only watches movies involving the beach or the West Coast, or made after 2015. Pretty much. I mean, that that sums it up fairly. Explains the juvenile behavior, but whatever. It hey does. guys, what are we drinking tonight? Oh, what a wonderful question. Uh, tonight, I'm kicking it, you guessed it, Tommy style. Uh, and so tonight, I've got uh, a little bit of gin. So Tommy style means not a beer. Uh, and so Wait, it's, you mean uh, like Tom, our other co-host? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Does yep. anyone, Tom, does anyone ever call you Tommy? Yeah, I was like, Gabe, do you not know how much I despise that name? Oh, ah, what? Well. Well, I don't care. So oh, okay. I, I got this gin uh, from Twisted Path Distillery in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, I mean, I didn't get it in Milwaukee, but it's from Milwaukee. And it's uh, it's pretty good. I, I just finished it tonight. I, I got it uh, back in Thanksgiving. And it's I got February. it yesterday. <laughs> I didn't drink it that way. Uh, so I got it this afternoon. And whoops, <laughs> it's gone. Whoopsie daisy. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. Just straight up Twisted Path organic gin it's organic and it's pretty good pretty good you know what before before we get into our topic for tonight quick question when it comes to things like say alcohol or i don't know other other things that are far less perceptible when it comes to organic versus non-organic like could you taste uh, a difference between the organic gin and the non-organic gin oh 100 100 no, no way no way there's a difference between an organic apple and a non-organic apple I mean, sometimes, like when it when it comes to like meats in particular, you can taste the difference between like an organic beef and a non-organic beef. 
I think with meats for sure, but I don't know. I've never noticed it with produce. I was just curious. That's all. Anyway, listen, um, I, I, since I'm the one who edits these episodes, I realized that probably for the last five or six, sans the one that I was absent, altruism, um, I've been on this IPA kick, and it's wintertime. Uh, it's starting to get cold here in Tennessee. So I'm trying to transition myself out of the summer IPA theme into a more appropriate seasonal style of beer. So tonight, from Jackalope Brewing Company, based out of Nashville, Tennessee, fantastic brewery, shameless plug for them, um, also still awaiting their corporate sponsorship confirmation letter. So just in case you guys were wondering. But tonight, their Rompo Red. It is delightful. A nice little red ale. Kind of ushering in the cooler weather. It's a little bit maltier, a little bit more caramelly. Uh, not quite as hoppy as a typical IPA I've been imbibing in lately. Well, that's just fantastic. I am drinking. Tommy, what uh, are you drinking? Oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how much we're going to stop that. Uh, <laughs> I'm drinking bourbon and ginger. Uh, it's fantastic. And that's about it. So nothing special tonight. Gabe, I feel like you calling him Tommy and then me following up by calling him Tommy has really been a demotivator mm -hmm. for Tom. It's really slowed him down, which he's moving prone, on. He's prone to demotivation to begin with. So, but, <laughs> you, but know, you know, I'm, I'm the most, I'm the most demotivated person in the world. Listen, it's, you know, what's really motivating for us though. And this that? podcast is engaging with us on our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash pine class preachers. Can you believe it? And you know, what's even more motivating for us than engaging with us on a Facebook page, texting us. We love to hear our phones vibrate or ding with a new message from you, our good listener. So text us your questions, your comments, your random thoughts at 612-208-6258. We love hearing from you. Guys, as a matter of fact, have we heard anything from anyone lately? Indeed we have. Tom, take it away. All right. We actually have two texts uh, that we got uh, over the last – over the last week here. Uh, one is very, very topical with what's going on. Uh, the question was around, with all that's happening with sexual misconduct in Hollywood, in more. top tiers of business, in government, and everywhere, Alabama. everywhere, everywhere. What was that, Josh? I said Roy Moore, Alabama. Roy, Roy Moore, Alabama. Uh, Al Franken, Minnesota. Yeah, no, we don't need to keep listening. We'll be here forever. John Connors, uh, Michigan. Oh, the point is, the question was... Harvey Weinstein, California. <laughs> Sorry, Good Tom. listener, I'm... if you could see Tom's eye roll right now. It was oh, such, Tom. so epic. Um, Tom, not with an MY at the end. I'm done. Yeah, I'm All done right. too. Are, are we? I'm done. Because there's We're a like. 20 other names that we could list, but okay. yeah, yeah, go, go, go. The question is, we have is does rap music, does a lot of our pop, our, our poppy music and things like that, do they continue to get a pass with some of the really misogynist lyrics that, that we hear out of this? Now, of course, as Christians, we've been railing against anything that's not Christian music for, for years and years and years. Uh, and certainly this music can can have a negative effect. But the interesting thing is when Bruno Mars or Name Your Rapper of the Day says something incredibly misogynistic in a song, uh, we kind of just gloss over it. It's played in the elevator, elevators. It's played at our sport sporting events. It's played everywhere. We just kind of 
gloss over it. But if we say it at work out loud, we're getting fired. And so I'm not defending it. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying, do they continue to get a pass? That's the question that that we got from a listener. That's a good question. Uh, can I start? Yeah. Here's my gut. My gut is this. like, So, well, let me put it this way. In an ideal world, we're all gentlemanly and no one is ever misogynistic. Okay. And, and so I don't think that should happen, period, no matter what. And okay. chivalry wouldn't be dead. Yep. Right. And chivalry wouldn't be dead. Yeah, I mean, for real. Like that, we would treat each other with respect. Like it would just be, it'd be great. Okay. We don't live in that world. And so I, I think, I guess if I can answer the listener's question, I guess I'd put it this way. If the listener's question is this, um, why does our culture allow that? Why is it kind of okay for this sort of misogyny to exist in some hip hop lyrics and some, some pop lyrics? Um, I think the answer comes down to what our culture has deemed appropriate uh, given a particular medium. And so what I mean by that is this, um, there are things that a man could say to his wife in their bedroom that would be totally fitting for a man to say to his wife in their bedroom. But if that same dude says those exact same words to someone, I don't know, at church, <laughs> he should be arrested, right? Like that's weird. It's not appropriate. It's weird. And so our culture has said, okay, given this particular medium of hip hop music, it fits the culture of this medium. And so it gets a free pass on these types of lyrics. I'm not, I don't agree with that, I guess, but, but that's, I think well, what's maybe, happened. I, well, I, so get that. Because, uh, I get that, but, but I think it's almost like we're willing to detach ourselves, not just from real life or real life consequences, but when it comes to movies and music and other medium, I, I think we're able to, to somehow detach like fantasy from, from real life and the complications of, of kind of what you described. You know what I'm saying? Like I can listen to, and, and this actually, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates has a fantastic um, excerpt from this in a, I'll have to pull the clip off YouTube, but um, basically Google like <clears throat> why something like I want to use the N-word or why white people want to use the N-word or something like that. And Ta-Nehisi Coates makes this great argument that's like, um, how as a white guy can I listen to hip hop music that drops N-bombs all the time and feel like it's appropriate for me to use that word, but then in the same vein say it's also a, a racist term and one of subjugation and slavery. And so like for some oh. reason when it comes to like music and the movies, uh, poetry, whatever the case may be, when it comes to like artistic medium, we're, we're able to kind of detach its mm. actual cultural relevance or – um, you know, uh, like linguistic meaning or significance in our culture as a form of entertainment. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Yeah, I mean, actually, I think it's it's kind of but, wrong. But wh why do we have that detachment? Why do we allow that detachment to happen? Right, because what we know that, that, that I don't know, form follows function or, or whatever. I mean, we see that people act on things they see in the movies, They they their speech or the way that, you know, that they act is somewhat informed by the music that they listen to. Well, but see, I don't know, Tom, because I, I grew up listening to hip hop and rap more than any other genre of music. Like my mom mm -hmm. cringed because I had my, my, those old school, you know, CD folders that hold like four to a page. Remember those? Oh, dude, I still have mine. Classic. 
Anyway, those are covered with like parental. Wait, like, didn't I just get ripped five minutes ago for watching Goodwill Hunting? Yeah, we were talking about oh, CDs, not, not, back. We're talking about CDs not eight different. tracks, Tom. Yeah. Different, Gosh. Tom. Different. Oh, so anyway, different. My, mom, my mom used to cringe because of those things. And like those were those were hip hop albums and, and, and local rap albums to the Bay Area of California. Late, savage. Late, savage is a what? <laughs> um <laughs> on the table that's right don't ask my wife to wrap those long actually ask my wife that's to wrap good. that hook really good at it she kills it yep gabe has witnessed it anyway um you know and and i used to listen to that music and i would sing those lyrics i would rap them i wouldn't consider myself a misogynist but it wasn't only until like say 10 15 years later that i was like man i don't know if i even feel comfortable listening to lyrics like that because i understand the point that you're getting at like it shouldn't be okay for misogynistic you know, sexually harassing types of content to be in those songs and me to be somehow able to detach that from my re from real life and rap about them, sing about them, you know, bop my head to them, whatever, um, without realizing the consequences of, of what those lyrics are promoting in individuals, young high schoolers like myself. Yeah. Well, good listener. I know that's not a super direct answer that perhaps you're looking for, but but hopefully our little exploration of that uh, was helpful for you. Uh, we do thank you for the text and really do um, appreciate you doing that. And uh, and so, yeah, and we do have another text, but we will get to that at another time. Uh, we're actually probably going to do a whole episode or a B-side on it, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, with that being said, man, we are going to get into the main topic of the day and, uh, and talk about college. College! Uh, and so enjoy this break, and we'll be back on the other side. We're going streaking in the quad. Woo! <laughs> sorry, sorry. That, that was probably a movie you don't know either. That was that that was too far long ago. So sorry, man. Sorry. So far ago, you can't even remember the title. Old school. Old school. Will Ferrell. Been there, done that. My generation, Tom. Will Ferrell. Welcome back, everybody. We are going to get into our topic of the day, which what we're forty minutes into this episode already, and we're we're just getting to it. So here we go. And we thought we could do better. Yeah, we thought we could, but you're going to listen to us anyway. Uh, recently, Jimbo Fisher, the uh, head coach or the previous head coach of the Florida State Seminoles, college football coach. Uh, up and left his job for a 10-year, $75 million contract with Texas A&M. Those who listen to us and are not big sports fans, uh, this is not going to be about sports. It, this is just the setup. Uh, the big argument with him going there was all these big-name coaches who are making $75 million, but yet the NCAA says we can't pay our players. Uh, because we, we, we that, that would be against principles and, and things like that. So you have a bunch of student athletes, and I jokingly say student athletes because who are we kidding? They're not really students. They are athletes who are working at an, at these uh, universities. And so this this idea of th this gets us to should these 
players be paid? And we'll know that because they're students. And then we start talking about, are they really students? And then we start coming to what is their purpose for being at college? Are they getting an education? When they come out after four years, are they better off academically? Because as the NCAA says, 99% of them are going professional in something other than sports. I was recently at a soccer game with my kids. And as we're walking out, the coach is like, hey, good job, guys. If you keep practicing, you might get a college scholarship out of it. And I immediately thought, oh, dear God, I hope not. I don't want my kids to go to college and play sports. I just don't because I don't think they get a real education. Am I so, off base? Dude, so I think there's a couple of distinctions to draw here. Um, one is this. It, it depends on the sport. So, you know, to be honest, if your kid goes on a college scholarship for soccer, I mean, unless he's playing at like a really big soccer school, UNC, a Clemson, somewhere like that, like it's, it's, uh, it's really not going to matter. And, and so then what you end up getting is a, um, but a I, cheaper education. I, would, I, I disagree with all the counselors that, that I uh, worked with and hired working at Camp Luther. We had a number of people who were, who were in athletics and I would talk to them. And I remember one counselor saying, it's so hard to keep up with my studies. And she was in division three Concordia St. Paul. This was back when they were division three, division three Concordia St. Paul running track. Okay. So not one of the big sports. And she said with the number of miles that I got to run with the time in the weight room, with the team meetings, with the travel, She's yeah, but like, bro, I'm not I, I still think there's a difference, man. I honestly, I mean, yeah, you're right. That that does happen, but I think that's one one anecdote. I, I mean, I can I, I work at a university or a university chapel right now, and I can tell you anecdotes of kids who are well, who are connected to Cordia University and are D1 athletes. That is another story, and we'll get there in a second. But but D3 athletes or, or lower division collegiate athletes, like, yeah, they're working hard and it's really busy, but it's I know a lot of them that are doing fine, like straight A's, hustling, getting their education, and they're getting it paid for. Um, and 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 are they and are they getting? Because this is always a big joke, and I and I and I will throw myself under the bus because my brother always makes fun of me for this one. I got my undergraduate degree in communications. Communication degree, two of them actually. I got two degrees in that, and so. You know, he'll when we're watching basketball, he's like, hey, look, that guy's got the same degree as you, you know. <laughs> you know what? Brian is such an elitist. He is. I know. Because he's got a punk. doctor in front of his name. Dr. Brian. Dr. Brian. Oh, Neil. Brian, Brian and I have had these conversations because I went to NDSU, which pretty Goodbye, big at, the, at that point, a pretty big Division two school. Wait, North Dakota State University? North Dakota State University. Five-time Division one. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Man, you're like arch rivals with my father-in-law's favorite team, the Iowa State Cyclones. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. Um, Do what I can. So, like, when I went there, all the athletes, we'd see them on the first day of school, and they were out. We never saw them again. Yet, magically, they somehow graduated with the degree, having never gone to class. My brother went to Kansas. Now, that's a D1 school. And he's like, it was just a joke to think that the basketball team or the football team for that matter, we're getting oh, an education. For sure. And that's where I think D1 basketball, football, they are not getting an education. Like right. I, but I, but when he was at Bemidji, when I was at 
at NDSU, what we've seen at that. I wonder, are these athletes going for rigorous degrees or are they getting the, the communications degree like I got? Well, like part of that is to say, like, that's fine. Like, I it, I mean, it's yeah, not, I mean, I'm not and we're going to get to that because I'm not knocking that. Yeah. I mean, so. Yeah, I guess I think. I, I don't think mm, I'll put it this way in lower divisions. Athletics, they're getting scholarships, they're getting education by and large, they may be getting easier degrees, quote unquote, easier degrees to get, but I don't think they're not getting an education. Like, I don't know, there's some degrees that are just frankly easier to get. And so they get them and they do that while primarily focusing on school or sports rather. Well, what if, what if we, what if we actually dial it down? Okay. Gabe, Tom, we're all Lutheran. We have a cute little university system called Concordia universities, right? I graduated from one in Southern California. Gabe, you graduated from one in Wisconsin. There's one very close to you in Ann Arbor and was one very close to you when you were in Leander in mm -hmm. Austin, Texas, right? Yep. <clears throat> and I knew many an athlete. The schools were small enough. I mean, I'm talking under, at least for Irvine, it was under 2,000 uh, total enrollment when I was there. So I knew most of the athletes. At least I, I could see them. I could interact with them if I wanted to. It wasn't the untouchable kind of status at, like, say, a D1 you know, I'm talking like starting point guard for Michigan State kind of thing, right? Yep. And they ended up getting degrees because they couldn't – or I don't want to say they couldn't escape it, but they didn't have the same kind of privilege that a Kansas, you know, basketball player, football player had or anything like that. Oh, for sure. Yet they got an education, many of them communications majors or business majors, you know, very ambiguous, that kind of thing. And so I see there – I know there is some validity to like the lower – or the lower – um division argument so it's like but when i look at those athletes would i say that they were there for educational purposes or were they there because they got a scholarship to this private university could play sports and party so i don't know if there is much of a difference between a larger division or a smaller division when it comes to the to the general uh, i feel like such a jerk saying it but like the general mentality of a full ride scholarship athlete to yeah. their education yeah that's true so that, so that leads me to the next thing is this worth of a, of a college education because we we have I, I, like I said I want to get off the athletic thing real quick yeah, because yeah. I don't think that that's the main thrust of this this discussion here tonight but the if you look at what the worth of an education is okay I started in architecture got pretty far in it and just realized I it's not what I wanted to do it wasn't that I couldn't hack it I just I I didn't want to do it. And so I went to go do something that I really wanted to do that would put that would set me up for success, right? So if you have college athletes who are just getting a degree just to get a degree, is that really worth anything? Yes. Oh, for for people who are going, okay, I went and got a very general degree. Is that worth something? Yes. Could yeah. I have gotten to the same place without it? No. So here, let me let me just float something to you guys real quick. I, I would I would argue in some cases. That's not true. In but. some cases, it's not true. Generally, it is true. So, um, so there's a, there's an article that just came out uh, in the Atlantic. It's coming in the actual magazine in January, February, but um, but it came out online. And uh, this is someone who's a professor at George Mason University, and the title of the article is "The World Might Be Better Off Without College for Everyone." Now, so he ends up being a proponent of saying that it shouldn't be for everyone, but he starts off with something that I think is 
an incredibly compelling point for why just going to college matters. Ready? The earnings premium for college graduates has rocketed to 73%. That is, those with a bachelor's degree earn, on average, 73% more than those who have only a high school diploma, up from 50% in the late 1970s. Does that include trade schools? Uh, it does not. I don't know. Okay. It doesn't tell me. Gotcha. Is what I mean. So, but so so I I think to me as I say okay you get a com degree you get a degree in you know uh, lesbian dance theory I, whatever it is like jobs look uh, you know I, that's the most obscure thing I'm sure it exists so obscure um, <laughs> um, but um, but I think like you meant, I think you meant thespian dance theory excuse me that is what I meant um, at any rate but employers look and they say hey first requirement four year degree. They don't say which one. They don't say what it looks like, what matters. They say first requirement for your degree. You don't have that. Your earnings potential instantly goes down. Right. But but the funny thing is on that is, so at the end of the day, I'm going to end up, like, I'm always going to have this more education is good. Okay. So, but let me play devil's advocate here for just a second. So they're just saying, look, we just want you to have a degree, any degree. We don't care what it is. We just want you to have that four-year experience of drinking a lot and you know spending time with your friends and wasting x number amount of dollars we don't care what you got we just want you to have that and that makes you better than this hard-working individual over here we have so many we half our country is built on entrepreneurs who didn't go to college built fantastic businesses and now we want them on our boards and we want them you know as speakers at our conferences and things like that because they're the smartest people in the world and they don't have a college education like, yeah, dude, but that's, I mean, there's like some line in, in, I think it's in knocked up where like one of the guys is like, no, I dropped out of college and you know, Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of college. So I'll be just fine. And they're like, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of Harvard, not out of like your high school, you know, so no, and, out of, out of Mark Zuckerberg is 0.01%. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying him, I'm not saying him. I'm saying we had an entire generation of of people who came out of World War II on the GI Bill, yeah, but did not go to college and just went and worked hard, built businesses and things like that, and created amazing things because they're they're just they're smart. They but they didn't they didn't go to college. I mean, in one sense, can you make that work? Sure, I guess, and it worked back then. But in another sense, I mean. You can't argue with the stats that 73% um, that it's a, a 70, excuse me, 73% that is those with a bachelor's degree earn on average 73% more than those who only have a high school diploma. But so that's like, o- that's only because the system se- sets it up that way. As, right. the, as the employer, I say, I will only hire people who have a degree and I'm going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars for this job. And you guy who doesn't, I'm going to give you this job. That's $25,000 just because you're both the same. You're, you're both as smart. You both could do this job, but he's got a four-year degree. You know what? Can I make a very arcane argument real quick? And let me see if it holds water whatsoever. Mm-hmm. If we look at history, you've got – okay, and, and I'm going to – to oversimplify this, and I understand that. We're going to say you've got, say, your blue-collar and white-collar workers, Right. Your blue-collar workers are going to be the ones that work back in the, way back in the day, work in the fields. White-collar workers dedicated to the sciences, religion, and art. Mm-hmm. Right? Law. 
Law, oh, yeah, yeah, and law. Great point. This has sort of been the case for a long, long time that the serf in the field in middle-aged England is going to make less than the dude looking through the telescope using math equations to determine distances from the sun. Uh, just like today, the person who goes to a technical or trade school is going to earn less or no schooling at all, no, no college education, I mean, is going to earn less than the one who gets a degree of any kind. So is it really like that far-fetched to buy into that statistics that, that Gabe has thrown out there, Tom, or, or even make that argument when really if you look at the annals of history, I'm not the, the higher the education, the better stat, socioeconomic status. I'm not I'm not arguing against the stat. That's not that that's I mean, we we have stats that say white whites earn more than 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 African Americans. It's All not because we're smarter. It's because the the system right. has artificially repressed the other, and well, so and so let's so but, so. but I don't think. But, but I don't what, think you're, what you're saying, what you're saying is, as long as I get a four year degree, we set that we set the bar there, and then after that, it doesn't matter, except for no. But, a, but it's a the same thing. Fields. It's the same thing as a as a high school diploma. So many employers will pay you more or discriminate against you if you don't have a high school diploma. Yeah, and that's just high school. So what are we saying that like literally, okay, I'm going to homeschool my kids in eighth grade and just send them on their own. They can do whatever they want and that's going to make them qualify to earn as much as someone who goes to Harvard. No, no, I, again, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to end up, I'm, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but what I don't I'm, think you are, Tom, I don't think, yes, you are. <laughs> but what, what I'm saying is like, what we're saying is, okay, I live in Minneapolis where target is one of the biggest employers. They'll just take anybody who's got a four-year degree, even though there's plenty of people out there who are super smart, who started their own business, who have been very successful in life, but we're not going to take you simply because the first line of your resume does not say four-year degree. That, yeah, that's I mean, asinine. But, well, so let me play devil's advocate to that. Because, I mean, I do agree. In a magical world. There are advocates for the devil. Let's no, just, this, this is the let's world. Just, no. we, have okay, seen, but, we, we have seen... When I started working at Camp Luther, mm -hmm. I would say out of 35 counselors, there were only a handful, five or six people who were going on to get advanced degrees. And most of those people were pastors where it was required that they go get a, a, a master's yep. of divinity. Okay. Yep. When I left yep. seven years later, I would say fully half of our staff was going to get a graduate degree. It's become now... No, not it's not it's just a four-year degree. Now you have to have a graduate degree. How many right. years are we out before you have to have a PhD to get a job, an entry-level job at Target? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. how many years? And, so, and when we to that point, then you gotta say this is a little bit of BS. Well, but what but what are the like what's the demarcation of okay, so if an employer says, let, let's look at the markers of why an employer would choose someone with a a four-year degree, an advanced degree, a GED versus a high school diploma, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. what, what would the employer be looking for or looking at in making the determination that if you completed a four-year degree, an advanced degree, you know, among other things, would make you more qualified? Does that mean you're, you're more qualified to stock shelves? No, of course not. But no, I'm, not, it, I'm not talking target stores. I'm talking target, target corporate. Okay, so so like I think about this. I think about this. It does it does take a okay, it does take a certain amount of 
resolve of commitment um, mm-hmm. of 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 other anecdotal evidence to prove that you are an extremely capable individual if you complete a four year degree. So regardless you, of the ease of the degree. So the, yeah, so your the argument you're making is that I went to I went to a four year college to mature and experience life away from my parents. No, and, no, no, no. No, that's not what to, I'm saying. And be able to get through this four years of studying with resolve and you know all this kind of stuff. No, I'm saying it's the same argument that's made versus someone who actually gets their high school diploma versus someone who gets a GED. Because what we tend to do is look at someone who has their high school diploma as quote unquote normal, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're if you only got a GED, you must have dropped out for one reason or another. Yep. So in the same way, I feel like the perception is yeah. someone who has a four-year degree has completed some type of of, and and I say rigorous academia. I mean that's on the spectrum, all right. Of from actually rigorous to not so much rigorous. Right. But whatever. If you've completed a four-year degree versus not, you have proven something. Yeah. Right. But but what you've proven is that you're able to complete something. You you've proven, and those are tangential skill a skill set. But no at the way, but at the no way, because if, if you if you can stick it out for four years, assuming a financial, social, and educational risk, then, then why don't I would say that? Then why don't we see more veterans being hired all over the place? So they're all they, from they World War II. They're all like ninety. No, no, no. I'm talking about any veteran right now. Someone who's completed four years of service to their country, fought in a war. They've they've stuck to something. They've they've matured. They've been in a system. Mom, how many how many college graduates have PTSD from like landmines and and like ballistic missiles well, and yeah. RPGs? But this is the thing. Your what your argument is is that they've completed something. Whatever that so something hey, is, uh, that's the thing so you're hiring on? Guys, hey, let me peel you both back. I want to draw you to this article again from The Atlantic. I think it's peel us, helpful. Peel us back like an onion, Gabe. So it, it speaks so to many both, layers. It speaks to both, I think, of what you guys are getting at. Uh, so in The Atlantic, it writes this. Uh, suppose your law firm wants a summer associate. A law student with a doctorate in philosophy from Stanford applies. What do you infer? The applicant is probably brilliant, diligent, and willing to tolerate serious boredom. If you're looking for that kind of worker and what employer isn't, you'll make an offer, knowing full well that nothing the philosopher learned at Stanford will be relevant to this job. The labor market, here it comes, the labor market doesn't pay you for the useless subjects you master. It pays you for the pre-existing traits you signal by mastering them. So so my so my veteran argument then stands. No, no, that, actually, I think no, I think mine does because okay, so Gabe, like no, we're making the same argument. No, Josh. we're not. Well, I don't think I'm so because like when I went to because I'm actually making we should actually have a more specialized college education. Like for me, taking a bunch of math and statistic and uh, biology classes that I will never use, don't care about. Sure, it makes me more well-rounded, and I've been introduced to them, but it doesn't actually make me a better theologian. But so, okay, so that's a completely different thing that I'll argue against in the fact that it used to be when you went to college, you'd spend two years doing generals because to ask a 17 year old in the rare cases, yes, Gabe, I know that when you were six years old, you decided you wanted to be a pastor. But for the for the masses to ask a 17 year old to decide what they want to be when they grow up is just right. It's farcical. Right. And so so we used to go to college 
and you spend two years doing generals to kind of get a better idea, like, oh yeah, I'm actually pretty good at this math thing. I should maybe pursue a career that has to do with math. Josh, you would have said, hey, I really love the philosophy. I really love the religion. I should be a pastor, things like that. Okay. So you're charging people to buy them time to figure out what they want to do with their lives. Right. And then they get really specialized in those last two years and they come out in a pointed direction, right? But right now we're saying 17 year old, you need to know right now, right now, right now what you want to do because starting day one of freshman year, we're going to have you we're going to have you pointed in that direction. And then we have kids staying in college for five or six years because two years in, they realize, shoot, I thought I wanted to be an architect such as myself. And I realized, A, I wasn't very good at it. B, this isn't as interesting as I thought it was. Or C, it's not going to lead to the lifestyle that I want. So and maybe so the better question is, why don't we not offer those general classes, let the 17-year-old go work at Wendy's, and figure out what they want to do with their life, making well, minimum wage, not spending a bunch of money on college. You're seeing gap years become a lot more popular, and I agree with that. I think that's that's a fantastic idea to to think a little bit about what you want to do. But so can going I back to your point, though, forty seven percent of of people go, coming out of college last year are not working in the field that they studied. Listen, there are a lot of statistics being around, thrown around tonight, and I'm not sure I'm okay with and that. And 75% of them are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers are hard for you, Josh. They they are. They are. But if you if you lot. have half of people coming out, and to to your point, Gabe, in the article, that that people people are coming out, getting hired in in positions that they they didn't think they would in professions that they didn't think they would be in. Like, but, but you're only hiring them based on the fact that they, they completed something hard. Like, Dude, can, so then can I, I, can I float a crazy idea? I don't, I don't know. This, this may be totally off the bait, off base. I'm just popping off my head. Bait. Off the bait, off the base. We're going fishing later, but at any rate, off you base. Here. Like, so is it, is it possible? Uh, like if we think about it in terms of, of market and capitalism forces at work here, that like, I mean, one, let's let's say this, let's just pretend this for a second. Uh, let's say college is just completely useless. And all you do, like, let's pretend it you, you spend four years and you end up getting out of college and you're 60K in debt. Which is the what every single person is coming out of college with. Okay. Right now. And and you have the most useless degree ever. Okay. Unless you're a D1 basketball player or football right. player. Okay. Or curling. Cur well, everyone, or loves curling. everyone loves a curler. Um, and you come out, is it possible that the advantage of college, like if we think of this as a, a carrot stick analogy, is that your, <laughs> your, your burdensome student loans force you to own up to the quote-unquote adulting one needs to do in the white-collar world uh, to, to pay off the 60K that you owe? And so it becomes this sort of stick way of producing people to work in the marketplace. I actually think that's, we're not I think that's that valid, which is why we're seeing millennials live at home because they don't know how to, they yeah, don't want to grow up and figure that out. Wow, we're we seeing millennials live at home for a time. I mean, I think that's an overgeneralization. I, I, it totally is, you old person, baby boomer, Gen X, Nirvana loving, bald man Tom. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I, I I do see your point, Tom, but at the same time, you know what? One thing we have lost is the sense of apprenticeship as a, a valid education. 
Mm. It is limited to like journeyman trades, say electricians, iron workers, other union, quote unquote, unionized yeah. jobs, you know, but I, I see like for me and, and, and actually there's a conversation happening in the church right now, isn't it Gabe? Like, it is. isn't it valid to say, say Tom is, you know, wide eyed, bushy tailed, uh, 17 year old thinks he wants to be a pastor. Uh, our first sort of like inclination is say, go to the seminary or, or go get it, go get an undergraduate degree and then go to the seminary. And then you'll know instead of, Hey, let me apprentice you for two years. And then you'll know, yeah. you know what I mean? And, no, and that's absolutely. at almost no cost. And so I think that like, we, we have really lost the ability to apprentice. And I don't mean this in some sort of like kitschy or niche discipleship kind of conversation. I, I mean, it in a general way, like what would be so, so off of a law firm not requiring a BA in law, but saying 17 year old, you don't know what you want to do. Forget microbiology. Cause you certainly don't want to do that. Like Dr. Brian O'Neill, why don't you come and figure out what it looks like to be a lawyer? Well, see, okay. So this is the perspective that I'm going to bring that, that is very different than, than you two, or even my brother as well. You guys went to school and you can be one thing. You're going to be one thing, right? You're, you're going to be a pastor. Pigeonhole me, Tom. Yeah, I will. But like, that's what you're going to do. And maybe you can deviate a little bit and be a professor at a seminary. My brother went to school to Double. be a professor. We have jobs like a lawyer, a doctor, you know, things like that, where it's very, very specific. But the, but the majority of people who go to college are getting business degrees and things like that. And they come out and they're looking for any job possible and especially in today's job market, there's not a lot out there. And so they're looking for anything possible. And they say, oh, um, XYZ, you know, that makes corporation that makes widgets is offering a job to be a data analyst. I, I can kind of do that. My degree kind of lines up with that, but not really. No one grew up saying, man, I really want to be a data analyst for XYZ widget company company. Nobody, Nobody says that, but that's what yeah. they get to. And now it's a job that they're paying, that that's paying them and they get promoted because they, they work hard and they do well and that's fine. And then 15 years later, they find themselves in middle management at XYZ company or other ABC company that does something similar. And you sit there and you think, is this what I wanted to be and whatnot? And could I have gotten here without could I have gotten here without my philosophy degree? Because my philosophy degree didn't prepare me to be data analyst. Well, maybe the question is, why aren't those jobs available? Well, we have a very robust Obama or very robust economy. Thanks, Obama. You know, like, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm being serious because like, so you're saying if, if I can summarize your argument, you're saying that people go and they get degrees and then they don't have jobs in the sectors in which they get their degrees from, right? Yeah, 50%. So how is that possible, I guess? Because is it just that we have way too many people with a desire to get a communications major and there's literally not enough jobs in the communications sector or the business sector or the law sector or the theology sector, et cetera? No, I mean, we've seen over the last, especially in the late 80s into the 90s, uh, early 2000s, we had uh, you know the highest percentage of people going to college because that was the American dream um, that that became possible really after our greatest generation, uh, you know, got ourselves to the point colleges became more accessible to everybody. Now everybody was going to college and that perpetuated the 
if everyone's going to college, then that becomes the bar for getting a job, right? Yeah. Right. And so now we're at a point where it's like, well, to you know, to the beginning of this argument, look, just have a college degree. That's the most important thing. Well, if you got a college degree in philosophy and you spent 60K on it, was that really a good use of money? Because you got hired at Target to be a marketing specialist level so, one. I mean, in one you know? sense, I I get what you're saying. I, I think though it is tricky because one of the things, you know, we maybe haven't touched into is is there is we, we've done kind of, and I guess it's not the exception, but it's also not the rule of of degrees that are perhaps not super practical. But there are a ton of degrees that are very practical. And so like my friends that have mechanical engineering degrees, guess what they do? Mechanical, yeah. There's there's the other 50, 50% of this, right? right? So they're mechanical engineers. They're electrical engineers. Uh, you know, so, so it's not there's computer programmers. And, and I think that's the other thing is as we look at technology advancing as much as it is, like people are going to have to spend time like learning how to code. Like, quite frankly, like, I don't know, I'm going to have to be a pastor the rest of my life. I want to be, but I'm also going to have to be because like, I don't know how to code. And frankly, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to have a job if I don't. And but, sort of to, but sort of to Tom's point, there are so many STEM classes and programs out there teaching like say especially young girls to code so it's like I, I think what tom is getting at and and is a really valid question is so say there's a girl who like we've got this this program in chattanooga called girls inc and they teach girls stem skills and how to code right like basic coding so if they grow up in an environment where they're learning how to code and when they graduate high school they're one of the most proficient coders in all of chattanooga and they go to apply for a job with a an engineering firm or a tech startup or whatever where they need a coder. Will they be discriminated against? And I don't mean like that gender-wise or, or anything like that. But will they be discriminated against because they don't have a BA in, you know, um, software engineering versus a lifelong um, experience and education in coding through a variety of programming? I would say yes, I feel absolutely. like Tom and yeah yeah that's what I'm saying Tom it's you would say yes yeah they would and, yeah yeah and, 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 and I see is that just or equitable like no because they could be a better coder than the person with a four year degree in software engineering and and I see that from personal experience too and and I'm not I'm gonna say this and I'm I'm, I'm not bitter about it at all because I, I think about it a lot right now to to go be an executive director of a nonprofit, almost every single job description says advanced degree preferred, okay? I do not have an advanced degree. However, I have been in every job that I have held, I have been in a leadership role. I've been a director level or above in every, and I have been a president and the CEO of a nonprofit. Am I getting as many looks as someone who simply has a graduate degree in, in philosophy? Yeah. Well, I bet you are though. I mean, cause I, I do think now, are you getting as many looks as someone who has a graduate degree in philosophy and was president of a nonprofit organization? Right. right? So you get to your stage, Tom, and experience, experience and education makes a difference. Right. And, and, and I've, I've often said this about myself, old, if I right? was just a little yeah. older, you know, to like almost retirement age by your standards, um, if I was just a little bit older, I wouldn't even bother with a graduate degree because I would lean completely on my experience. Right. Right. If I was a little bit younger, I would say, I'm going to go get my graduate degree 
just because I need to have it right. in leadership or something. And like three that. years ago, I, I, I had the opportunity and I said, you know what? I'm going to spend all this money and all this time away from my family to simply get a line on my resume that is not going to give me any more experience doing the thing that I want to do because I am currently doing the thing that I want to do. You know, so, but then though, here, let me push back on that though. Like you're telling me you don't think you could, you would have grown and gained from, no, an, and, from, from achieving a master's in leadership. Development. No. And, and that's where I'll, and that's where I'll end up is that yes, absolutely. And even going to get a degree in philosophy or whatever, and we are seriously for everybody who's listening, who may have a philosophy degree, we're not begging on that. It, I'm actually working on one. So yeah, there you go. One, so yeah. Yeah. But, but any kind of education is important and is good. And even from the root levels of learning to think critically and uh, learning to discern and learn, you know, looking at different perspectives. However, that is all really important and really important skill sets to have in the workplace. And why at the end of the day, you want to hire someone who has a college degree. Well, those, but, those are important parts of that. Yes. And and dare I say this kind of brings, at least for me, this brings the conversation back full circle with, I mean, I can only speak to my field, which is the church, right? And there is a distinction made, Gabe, uh, for some good reasons and some really poor reasons between those who hold an MDiv and those who do not and pastor churches. Mm -hmm. Like on the one hand, I would say I've I, I've met and I would believe most certainly that there are pastors out there who are amazing pastors who have never received a yep. day of formal theological education yep. in their lives. Yep. Yet at the same time, I have also experienced and witnessed pastors of churches who really could benefit from some type of theological training, whether yep. it's exegetical or historical or you know, linguistic or whatever, right? You also so, have pastors who have a who have a, a doctorate and are terrible. Oh yeah, who are completely incompetent. That's absolutely yeah, right. absolutely. yeah. Yep. And so, and so maybe, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because we've been talking about this for who knows how long, but maybe and ultimately the solution or the, you know, the best insight into this question is, it's really what what your propensity is within your degree and what you get out of it. Like you can be a complete idiot and have a law degree and become a lawyer and just not be good. Yep. Because you just didn't care or didn't want to care or just weren't proficient or competent or able to become a, a, a great lawyer. In the same way, you could be a terrible pastor. Or you could also have very little formal education and be an incredible lawyer or an incredible. Well, I don't think that actually works that way. But you could be an incredible pastor and have well, very no, little education. Or, or I mean, you know, we could play the game this way too. But you're talking about all your examples are on very specific things. Like, that, you, you, like you can't just be like, I read a couple books at the library and now I'm a really good doctor. Like that. No, that, but but I I know it works. But yeah, but, but someone. But but we know so many people who who create their own businesses because they just intuitively get how to negotiate, how to yeah. how to work with people and things like that. Like, and so that, part of that, though, Tom, is to say, like, I mean, entrepreneurship is unique that way. And and to say, you know, because that's that was my the thing I was thinking about is like, I got a buddy who like zero college education started his own company. I mean, he worked for someone else for a while and in a particular field, learned how it worked, got the, the field mastered through just doing the job 
yep. and just said, all right, I'm going to start my own thing and did it. And he's killing it. And he's, you know, yeah. doing better financially than a lot, a lot, a lot of people that went and got yep. four years degree and four year degrees in business. Yep. Um, yeah, he is. And, but, but I, I guess, so the thing is like, okay, yeah, you can do that if you got the wherewithal, but being an entrepreneur is a unique skill set. It's a unique way of, of doing it. No, but, but, but I'm pointing, I, I'm talking about that general skill set of being able to, to work, to, to be able to produce, to, to add value. What we're seeing is people coming out of college with a degree, whatever the degree it is, and they are working in a field that has nothing to do with that degree, and they are becoming successful. They are they are that's producing because, their adding that's value. That's because the college experience has actually, whether it's not in their, whether it's in their specific field or not, or specific degree or not, they have been educated in a in a more holistic or a beneficial, a beneficially holistic way. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, guys, we've been at this for a while. We are not going to solve it. So ah, I wish not, we could just keep talking in circles. I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap us up here, though. You know. Listen, we'll get some closing thoughts here after the break, but I think one of the things for each of us to consider as we go into break here is why did Tom get a communications degree? Good question. It's a great question. We'll find out why when we get back from the break. Catch you guys on the flip flop. We are back from the other side of break and uh, hope it was a good one for you. And we had promised that Tom was going to explain to us why he got a degree in communications. But before we hear that uh, scintillating answer, uh, we, we... <laughs> I know you've been on pins and needles this entire yeah, episode. Waiting, waiting for Tom's response. Why? Why did Tom get a BA in communications? Or is it a BS? Wait, <laughs> I can't even wait. Um, we want to give a shout out to our good friends at the Gospel Economist. They host our podcast. They write beautiful blogs about seeking um, the gospel in our everyday lives and seeing uh, the beauty of what the good Lord has done for us uh, in the midst of our culture and, and finding ways to redeem different pieces of culture. And so they do a wonderful job of that. You can also find our podcast hosted there. Tom, why? All right. Are you, you are you ready to be absolutely riveted with this? I am. People can't wait. They're on the edge of their seats. The good rivet me, Tom. Rivet me. Her seat. I wanted to be an engineer when I went to visit the school. I saw the architecture department, and that was way more sexy. So I decided to be an architect. And two and a half years in, I realized that all I could do was design really bland looking boxes and so i knew i wasn't <laughs> going to be successful at that and i had no interest in doing something unsuccessfully and by that time through myriad experiences working at camp and other things i realized that i was very good at working with people uh influencing them or communicating with them and so i 
pursued a degree in communication. So I actually got two different degrees, one in speech communications and one in mass communications with an emphasis on PR. That's public relations for all you folk out there who don't know. Anyway, got a job in camp ministry because again, you know, that had to do with public relations. And so I, from there quickly realized that the nonprofit world was some place that I was good at, had a passion for. And so that's where I ended up. There you have it. Wow, just throw that in our faces, Tom. Look at you, buddy. Please, Louise. Yeah. Look at you. Well, thanks, right. Tom. We all appreciate it. All right, Fred. Scintillating, indeed. Thanks for that scintillating report, Tom. Last call. So Last call. Times. Quick shout outs. First of all, as always, to our lady Janet. Although I do want to say, maybe I mentioned this last time, but <laughs> someone... our lady Janet. <laughs> Our Lady of Peace. Our Lady of Peace. Our Lady of Good Fortune. Our Lady Janet, of Guada Janet, Guada Janet Guadalupe. Is that what you <laughs> But we did have one friend claim to be a larger fan than Janet. Uh, just, it's not. It's not. Did, did, did this person make uh, seven different pies for Thanksgiving just to, to, <laughs> oh, to make? Seven. Oh, Tom. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Mom, getting it done. Yeah. yeah. Janet, seven I, and, pies. Goodness gracious. Well, she she loves she loves us all very much, and so she wanted to make sure we and each she had loves our own a good pie. And she makes really great pie. I appreciate that, Janet. Really nice. So, if you want to put in a request, just go ahead. Oh, what's her best pie? What's her best pie? Oh man, she makes a really good lemon meringue. She makes a good peach pie. I've been going with peach raspberry the last couple of years. Whoa, that's uh, great. Okay, she makes a mincemeat. Uh, mm. Yeah, I'm not a fan. She makes a pecan. A great Wait, apple. Meat? Is that like some weird British thing? What's a mincemeat pie? Yeah, with like pig cheek and dog ear and yeah. <laughs> it, it actually used, used to have meat and spices and raisins and things like that. And nowadays, a mincemeat pie is more apples, raisins, spices, things like that. Because you know, so no we meat? fought a war against those guys, so we didn't have to eat their crap <laughs> yeah, food anymore. Yeah, that's true. Except we also for fought fish a and war chips. with them. Oh, fish and chips are amazing. And yeah, tea we bailed them out in two world wars that they got us into. Anyways, <laughs> you're uh, welcome. Yes. You're welcome. Back-to-back -back World War Champs. USA. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, this episode has digressed so terribly. All right. Text us. Six, if you're still listening, text us in 612-208-6258. We love you guys. Take care. Keep the faith. Just don't keep it to yourself. Oh, boy. Good night. <laughs> I like that tagline. Bye.